So welcome to episode three of the Gratitude for Time podcast. Uh, I'm your host, Suresh. And my guest today is one of the world's uh, most famous uh, and influential psychologists, Dr. Philip Zimbardo. Uh, Thank you. Thank you. Um, I've got like a little bit of an introduction here, so just just give me a minute. (laughs) So he's a tenured professor at Stanford University. Uh, Throughout his career, he's um, met and worked with people like the Dalai Lama, Bill Clinton, um, Malcolm X, uh, the Hungarian Prime Minister Viktor Orban, um, Nobel Prize winners Daniel Kahneman um, and Linus Pauling, and sociologist Stanley Milgram. Um, He's also a past president of the American Psychological Association. Um, He received a humanitarian award from the president of the Czech Republic, um, Václav Havel. Um, He also created Discovering Psychology, which is a show and um, really brought psychology to the mainstream and encouraged, uh, I think, generations of people to go into psychology. Um, This is a cool one. In 2004, Dr. Zimbardo testified for the defense in the court-martial of Sergeant Ivan Frederick. Um, So maybe we'll get to hear something about that. Um, He conducted the infamous Stanford prison experiments in the 1970s, which has made huge waves in the human understanding of human behavior. Um, He's also an author, so I've got his books here. (laughs) Got this first book, The Time Paradox, and... This one, and then there's another one that I don't have, but I believe that's called the Lucifer effect. Yes. Uh, okay. I'll get, uh, I'll get that and hold it up later. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So, yeah, that was the little bit of it, a long introduction, actually. Um, so, yeah, thank you again for your time. Just super grateful for your time and um, not just, just the hour today, but kind of your entire life and what you've been able to do and push people's understanding um of themselves and each other i think that's great yeah <laughs> thank you sir and i want to promote your book which i enjoyed reading uh, thank you thank you sent to me as a gift and it's a wonderful book thank you thank you it's, um, it's not taking time for granted it's ha- yeah. it's a gratitude for time is the title yep and that's the title of this podcast and um I, I mean, we can even start there, really. Um, sure. Okay. Uh, like, I perceive gratitude for time as a like positive mental health cognitive foundation. So something that allows you to kind of address the fact that you didn't consciously choose to be born and the fact that you're moving towards death always um, and allows you to grow from that in some sort of way. Um, so in a positive manner. Um, so that's kind of the quick version of what that means to me. Um, do you have any thoughts there? Yeah, it's, it's, that's, that's sorry. That's the big picture, but it's, it's Mm -hmm. a gratitude for time for every day. That is essentially when you wake up every morning, you just say, oh, how wonderful. I have 24 hours ahead of me, or at least 18 hours of waking time. Yep. Um, Yep. And how can I make the world better? Um, Now, it's more difficult in the pandemic since we are Mm self-quarantined, but there's still things we can talk later about. 
Yep. What, you, what you can do, which I call is like the heroic, heroic, ta- everyday heroism tasks. Mm-hmm. But it's really saying, I have gratitude for every moment of my life, for every hour. And again, sadly, all the people who are dying, all the people who have millions of people have died from COVID. Yep. You know, just imagine what their last hour was like in pain. But, but again, probably more than anything else, wishing that there was somebody from their family there. Uh, yeah. And, yeah. I, I, I've heard that has been a real struggle, actually, with hospitals, um, oh, yeah. not allowing people to like see their families and things like that because right. of the rules. Um, yeah. Have you noticed that? Yeah. And then also... In many mm-hmm. cases, nurses have to be the one um, to say goodbye. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that is true. They have to be the the people that like suffer that the brunt of that emotional. Right. right. That that's very true. I mean, I think it's just so valuable to be grateful for time. <laughs> for time. So in, in the time paradox that you held up, yep. um, the reason I called it that, and I want to want to call out my co-author, John Boyd, yep. uh, who hopefully will be watching this program eventually, um, that uh, essentially what we started thinking about is that um, the usual sense of time perspective is the tripart, past, present, and future. Yeah. That's the big chunks. Uh, when I think about my past, yeah. you know, I think about the, all the good old times, the rewards, the successes, the friendships, or do I think about failure? Do I f- think about rejection? Do I think about the terrible things that happened to me? Mm-hmm. And so our past is filled with positive and negative, but some people have chosen uh, maybe sometimes unconsciously, only focus on the positive or negative. Yes. Same, now, it's going to be the same thing with the present and future, that for some people, the present is filled with joy and fun, and it's hedonistic. It's good food, good times, good friends. Yep. For other people, we call it present fatalistic. That is, you feel stuck. Yep. Certainly, certainly um, it's, it's even made worse in the pandemic where nothing yep. you do is going to make a difference. You lost your job. Um, you, you can't, you can't visit family and friends. Uh, uh, and then same thing in the future for the future. This is why we get educated. This is why we go to school. This is why we read books because we want to create a positive future where everything becomes possible. However, yep. for many people thinking about the future creates anxiety, worrying, could I make it? Could I be a failure? Uh, are my goals too big or too distant? So what I've done is I've created a scale mm-hmm. called the Zimbardo Time Perspective Inventory, ZTPI, which measures the degree to which each person who fills out the scale, uh, what is their score on being past positive, past negative, present hedonistic, present fatalistic, past positive, past negative. And with that score, when we look at their profile, we can begin to predict lots of things about that person. Uh, but also we can give them advice about what kinds of things to do to improve their life and what kinds of things to do uh, to, to uh, 
enrich their, their lives. Yeah. No, I, I think one of the most valuable things about that scale is that it applies to every human um, with a healthy brain in mind. Of course, uh, yeah. if you if you have a brain injury, it's not going to be so helpful. But right. the fact that it's so scalable really is the word yeah. uh, makes it super valuable. Can you can you like briefly just discuss the most detrimental of those views versus the most positive? Yeah, well, it's hard to say. I mean, it's what we've done is we've done lots of research. In fact, we have now organized an international time perspective, uh, 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 I don't know, not organization, organization. Yep. Uh, yep. And, and there, there are, our members are up to now maybe 500 people from many different countries around the world. Uh, and and but some of these are researchers, some are psychologists, but some are business people, some are therapists. Uh, so and and more and more people when they hear about it, they say, oh, I want to learn more. And we actually have a conference every two years in a different major city in, in Europe. Uh, we've had four of these already over the last eight years. Uh, the next one was due to be in Lithuania. Um, uh, so we had to postpone that. And we're hoping maybe it, we can have it this, this summer. Um, but so what people have done in this group is they've looked at the profiles of people who've taken the scale and then co correlated with uh, success in business, success in lifestyle, uh, success in marriage. And many of them have come up with the concept of BTP, balanced time perspective. Mm -hmm. It turns out it's it's not, you know, to be good on one or bad on the other. It's it's a combination. So uh, what they show is if you have a balanced time perspective and you can actually work toward it or train toward it, then yep. your life is much richer and healthier. So what that means is to be high on past positive, low on past present, low on present fatalism, moderate on present hedonism, mm -hmm. uh, high on future orientation, positive, low on negative future orientation. So when you take the scale now, and I should mention uh, to your audience that yeah. uh, they could go online and yeah. take the scale. Uh, you yeah. can give them the link uh, and, and it gets scored immediately. And not yeah. only does it get scored, your each of your scores is compared to what we think is ideal. So you can see, you know, I, I, although I'm, I'm pretty good on past positive, I'm too high on past negative. I have negative thoughts keep coming into my mind. And then in, in my book, we talk about how you can work from wherever you are to this balanced time perspective. So it's very practical. Yeah, and I, I'll make sure to put that link up there so that people can easily read you things like that. Um, how do you, how do you think, how do you perceive our culture influencing how we value time um, as, as, as people, as American people really, even? Like how does our culture influence how we value time, maybe even in relation to money? Yeah, it's a good, really good question. And, um, and it's, it's, it's also interesting to look at different cultures uh, how they, un ha what is the time 
perspective of different cultures. Yeah. Um, and so you could argue, so for example, my family is Sicilian mm -hmm. uh, and Sicilians value living in the day. They almost never think about tomorrow. They never think about manana or in, in, in or many or similar in many uh, uh, I don't know, European, Southern European, Southern American. It's yeah. manana never comes. Yeah, Mediterranean. Yeah, so Mediterranean. So you live for the moment. You live for the day. You live, so that means good friends, good food, good fun. Yeah, and so so those orient those cultures are very present oriented. Now, in mm -hmm. some cases, you you can bring the past into the present uh, by, for example, having your old old relatives live with you or live near you. So grandma is always there. In America, it's very different. It's really the basic, the basic platform is to always prepare for tomorrow. Uh, forget, forget the past, whatever it was, you yeah. know, enjoy the present, but the present is really a way to get to the future. Yeah. Uh, and so, and at least before the, so it's having this pre-pandemic, mm -hmm. You, you worked very hard each day for, to make money, to buy things that money can make, to get a vacation, yep. but these are all things in the future so that, that you work hard and the, what you get from all of your labors is really cash. And you cash in that for pleasure for tomorrow, short-term pleasure, the vacation. Vacation yeah. is over in a weekend, a week or two weeks, um, and then you start again. Yeah. Um, so the, the big difference between rich people and poor people is rich people don't have to save for a rainy day. Poor people mm -hmm. know that they could get fired. Poor people know that they could get sick. They know they don't have insurance so that they live each day in fear of what could happen tomorrow. If you're rich, you don't have to think about that. You have hospitalization, you have health plan, you have people who will take care of you. Uh, mm -hmm. and so you can enjoy today knowing that you're, you're still in charge of tomorrow. Yeah, I, I've heard it um, described as a temporal ghetto. I think Jeremy Rifkin in his book. That's a good way, that's a good way to put it, yeah. It's a temporal ghetto because you're so... Um, temporally forced to like just survive in the present rather than planning for right. future, um, right. which is kind of a luxury to some oh, degree. Yeah. Yeah. For poor people, the future is a luxury. Yeah. Your task. I mean, if you're a father and you have a, a menial job and a big family, your job is to get food on the table tonight. Mm hmm. And then, and then the idea is, what about tomorrow? So it's it's not planning your, it's not setting up a uh, mutual fund to send your kids to college. It's it's trying to get enough money to feed your family and pay the rent, one week at a time. Mm -hmm. um, and so so, it destroys the quality of your life. That is. You know, again, when I grew up in poverty in the ghetto in the East Bronx, we did not have a book in my house 
until I was, I guess, the seventh grade, and we had to go to the library and get books. And I could almost imagine my parents say, what is that thing you're holding in your hand? But literally, we never had a book. We didn't even, couldn't afford magazines. On, on the weekends, my uncle would bring the comics, the, the Sunday, Sunday newspaper, with, and, and we didn't even, they didn't even read the rest of it. They just looked at the comics. Um, oh. You know, and, and so, um, so again, so for poor people, the quality of their life is degraded. Yeah. Uh, not physically, not because they eat less good food, they don't have the same quality of clothes, but by not being able to have access to books, to education, um, their horizons are limited, limited mm -hmm. to their home, to their neighborhood. Uh, and uh, typically it's also to people who are exactly like you. Yeah. No, that's super interesting. Um, can, can you uh, kind of talk about maybe, because I know in your Time Paradox book, uh, talked about you writing a child memoir, um, childhood memoir. And I was wondering if you could talk about kind of the culture around, right around World War II and how that kind of shifted people's perceptions of the pre present, past, and future. And um, if you have any thoughts on that yeah. at all. Oh, sure. Yeah. It's um, so again, one of the consequences. Now, again, I was born in 1933. I will be 88 next month. Uh, wow. I was born in 1933. It's the Great Depression, mm -hmm. Great Economic Depression. Uh, and, um, you know, and we were just coming out of the Depression in 1939, 1940. And then we got into the war. Now, surprisingly, the war was good for poor people. Mm -hmm. Why? Because they got jobs. Because everybody had to work. Uh, there was a whole new defense industry, uh, making munitions, making um, 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 guns, you know, yeah. uniform, tank, whatever it is. Yeah. So, so suddenly there were jobs for everybody. So when you are poor, people say, oh, they don't like to work. It's not that they don't like to work or they don't like to eat. Yeah, there's no jobs. No jobs. Why? Because you don't, you're not educated. Mm -hmm. You don't have jobs that require any degree of education. So you have menial jobs. The so you work with your hands, not with your head. That's what yeah. a menial job means. Yeah. Uh, and suddenly in the Second World War, sorry, 1941, when we got into the war with Japan and then we got into war Germany, uh, suddenly people were working and people and then not only working because we were in the war it was idealistic that we are mm -hmm. working to win the war uh and so what does that mean i mean suddenly everybody had a future orientation mm -hmm. at the beginning of the war with japan people don't remember we were losing every single battle i mean I, af, af, after after december 7th when they destroyed much of our fleet in, when the Japanese destroyed much of our fleet in Pearl Harbor in Hawaii, that the Japanese were already set up. They had, uh, in many of the islands in the Pacific, they already had bases there. And, and we were scrambling. We had, to, we had to create airplanes. We had to uh, create a program. Um, and they, had, they also had um, submarine ships that would, would 
would blast our, our, um, our tankers. So we were losing, I can remember as a kid, every day, you know, we, we, didn't, we didn't read newspapers. We hmm. only got the news on Saturday where there was 10 minute newsreel in the movies. We, wow. you, you went to the movies, it cost 10 cents, uh, and you got to see a double header plus cartoons plus five or 10 minutes of newsreel. And, and these would be terrible. They would show Japanese bombing, you know, not only Pearl Harbor, but uh, each, each of the islands that we were losing every single island uh, along the way. But also because, see, there was strong pressure on, in America not to get involved in the war in Europe. Even though, our, you know, our, they were not our allies yet, but, the, the, you know, the English were being bombed. It was called the Blitzkrieg every single day. The, the, so the Nazis, you know, sl, you know, slaughtered Poland, slaughtered Holland, slaughtered, you know, came into came into came into Paris, and the Parisians didn't even fight, shot, get shot one bullet. They just let them march in. So so there was a point at which the Nazis occupied virtually all of Europe, maybe except for Switzerland, which was neutral, and now. Mm -hmm. And now their goal was destroy England, Great Britain. And they did this terrible bombing. And the British were begging America to get involved. And yeah. for various reasons, uh, we, we didn't. We delayed until uh, December 7, 1941, because the Japanese had been uh, had, were working collectively with the Nazis and also, people forget, with the Italians. Hmm. And Mussolini was yeah. a fascist. Yeah. So that, that was the evil um, empire. Uh, the, Mussolini, Hitler, and uh, I guess it was Tojo, uh, the, the Japanese. So, so at that point, we were forced to get, get into the war because, uh, because, the, be, only, not because the Japanese and the Nazis had it packed together. Mm -hmm. So because the Nazis, uh, because the Japanese attacked us, we had to go to war with Japanese, and therefore we had to go to war in England. And so we started uh, in America on the East Coast, helping British, we, we used to call it bundles for Britain. I remember as a kid, you know, we, packing up you know, old shirts and blankets and sheets and towels and things, and put literally putting it in a box and sending it, you know, to someplace, and we hope it got wow. to England. Uh, and on the West Coast, people working to try to help uh, the soldiers and the sailors uh, in the East Coast. Uh, so, but it was, for kids, it was very exhilarating because it gave you something to do. We used to, we used to have, play, have cards now, and the cards would have airplanes, and you hold it up, and, and you could say, that's a P-38, that's a P-47. That, huh. That's, uh, um, I, I'm sorry, blocking now, but, you know, a German bomber, uh, SS, SS-77. So we knew every single plane, boy, at least boys did. Yeah. Uh, and, but, but, you know, and then, and then ha maybe by 1943-44, we began to win the war in Japan. We, we had to recover island after island, and we began to, to, to move. Then after uh, Normandy, when, when the Allied troops, Americans and French and others, landed in France, in Normandy, uh, and then we also came up from from Africa. There was a, a, again a great big battle in the Afri Africa Sahara Desert 
with uh, the Nazi general Rommel, who was the master of the tank corps. He knew how to use tanks and he was battling against our general Patton. And amazingly, Patton and the Americans won that battle and they prevented the, the, the Nazis from going across the Mediterranean you know, in, into Europe or um, mm -hmm. So, So I'm saying, I still remember this is 80 years ago and I still remember it's, yeah. it's, it was, it made our life exciting. You know, yeah. Life for kids in a ghetto is boring. I mean, there's nothing new. The war was new. Every day was new. That's crazy. Yeah. I, I mean, I can only kind of relate, but only because of 9-11 and, um, but I don't think it's to the same degree really. Um, and all of that, how, how do you, how do you think people perceived time during wartime? Um, I, I think it becomes very precious because, you know, for the first time, you know, people could die, not from old age, but from a bomb or from a traitor. Um, and that was the thing about 9-11. It was suddenly, you know, people who, and I, I lived in New York, I lived in New York, suddenly uh, you could lose your life going to work uh, yeah. or going shopping. And, and that made you realize that um, man, all of us have a sense of, you know, I expect to live a long time. I, you know, most people imagine, so be, I don't know if people have done this, imagine when do you expect to die? What, what age? But certainly people would say 50, 60, 70. Yeah. And then in time of war or with terrorists, time becomes uncertain. You mm -hmm. cannot be sure. Yeah. Uh, you cannot be sure you're going to be on a train and somebody comes, terrorists come in and, or even an airplane and start mm -hmm. shooting. Um, so it's, it's that unpredictability, which in a way makes, I think, makes you appreciate every day more. Yeah. I, could, I could be dead tomorrow. Mm -hmm. my, my brother, my father could be dead tomorrow. Yeah, I, I, I really, do you think that translates to COVID and how things are, people are perceiving time now, given it's a little bit of a different situation with lockdowns and everything, but do you think um, that COVID has helped our time perception or our balance within it or hurt it, do you think? Yeah, I think for many people, it's hurt it. Mm -hmm. uh, but I mean, I'm, there's not a lot of research on it, but whatever, whatever research is, we, we definitely know there's an increase in depression, there's an yep. increase in anxiety, uh, increase in youth suicide. Uh, and suicide is always... Uh, a, a belief that my life is not going to go on. So I might, I might, as, I might as well be in charge and end it at, when I want. Um, and, and partly the, the pandemic and the quarantine has isolated us. Mm -hmm. So for many young people, the importance of education is not learning mathematics, geography, history, psychology. It's social connections, it's friendship, it's being with friends, being with a girlfriend, being able to hug, shake hands, uh, go to a dance, and all that is stopped. And now, yeah. so you could say, if you have some computer skills, you can still Zoom, 
almost like we're doing now. But but even that becomes unreal after a while because what you want is you want to shake hands, you want to hug, you want to yeah, and and so so I I I think the pandemic has distorted our time sense, especially mm -hmm. because we kept uh, originally we kept thinking it's going to be over next month or yeah. that, that it, the experts kept expanding. No, it's 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 going to be over by Christmas. Uh, no, yeah. no. Now it's the spring. Well, the spring is two weeks from now. They're saying hopefully, ho hopefully by the summer. Uh, and what it means is experts are giving us information about time, which turns out not to be true. So they, they yeah. can't tell us what we should be hoping for. And, yeah. and that gets depressing. I mean, and especially now you're a man who's lost his job or you're a businessman who lost your business, yeah. you're home, uh, you have kids who are home because they can't go to school. school. Um, and especially if you're, not, if you're in a small apartment, uh, you're living close, in close quarters, you're going to start getting on each other's nerves. I mean, uh, because life becomes irritating yeah. rather than fulfilling. You have nothing to show. At the end of the day, what are you going to show for what you did today? Nothing. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and so, um, so I think a lot of people are going to come out of the pandemic psychologically worse off, e yeah. even though they physically survive. No, no, I, I, I agree. I think um, especially because we don't have really great mental habits and we're not trained for it to like build that the synapses and those brain muscles to like think positively about ourselves and about the past and present and future. Um, I yeah, well, yeah, but essentially what you should be doing is you should be having daily programs of mental workouts. Yeah. No, I'm curious. We, we need that. That is, you have free workout to say, okay, tune in, uh, yep. uh, Soresh, Soresh, uh, mid, midday, uh, time balancing. Okay. Yeah. There it is. That's a good idea. That's a, that's a good idea. Uh, maybe on Clubhouse or something. <laughs> STV, Source Time Balancing Program. Yeah, I like it. <laughs> I like it. Uh, can you, can we, can we kind of talk about, um, there are two more questions I have. And one is uh, kind of just talking about your experience with the Dalai Lama and um, yeah. what kind of brought you to him. And then the second question, just how you personally value time. Uh, yeah. So we'll just start with the first with the Dalai Lama and um. yeah. So, so the Dalai Lama um, mm -hmm. was invited to come to Stanford University, um, and um, um, and was invited by a, a colleague of mine who was had been a big donor to the Dalai Lama, um, and. Um, and after he, so he gave us a, a speech. Hmm. Uh, he doesn't really give a speech. He has sayings. Yeah. <laughs> it, it's like, it's like reading the footnotes of the Bible. He, he says something and then he laughs. I mean, he's, he's always laughing. So That's he says, cool. so, and, and then at the end, um, then at the end, people can ask him questions. Yeah. So what they did in this thing, in this arrangement, they arranged for, oh, like 10 people to come up on the stage 
to have a dialogue with the Dalai Lama. Huh. Uh, and, and I was I was the first one because my friend had had organized it. Yeah. Uh, uh, and my, my friend was a, a brain surgeon, so very rich, very, very uh, yeah. impressive. So I went on the stage and, and he's just, he's a charming man and he's got his translator. Uh, his English is good, but when he, when he doesn't know the answer, he pretends not to understand the question, <laughs> you know, like mm -hmm. so the trans and so translator lets him to think. Um, and, <laughs> and, and so I, I think, I, I don't remember exactly, it was 10 years ago, but it was something like um, the Dalai Lama is saying, really all people are good at heart. Uh, all people, you know, uh, we should cherish everyone the same. And, and I, I think when I, I was challenging him, I say, mm -hmm. don't you believe that there are some people in some situations who do evil on purpose, not mm -hmm. by accident. And, yeah. and I think I hinted at the Stanford prison experiment yeah. where good people were put in a, situ in a bad situation and yeah. ended up doing very cruel and evil things to other people. Yep. Uh, and, and they did it always saying it's part of my job. So that a lot of evil that is done is done by people that the Dalai Lama would say, this is a good person. Yep. But, but what they're doing is that the definition of evil there is they are taking action that harms someone physically or psychologically. Yeah. And they're doing it um, um, with knowledge that it's harming. You have a negative impact on the person they're dealing with. Uh, and, and so essentially I outlined that and I said, you know, how can, how can we correct that? Or how can we you know, deal with that uh, yep. in, in, your term, in your sense of empathy and compassion? Mm -hmm. Essentially, he couldn't answer that. He, essentially, yeah. he said, whoa, that's a good, that's a very good question. Uh, and and <laughs> I, I, will, I will think much about it. Uh, anyway, and, so, and, so the, and then afterwards, uh, we, we met, uh, we met a small group of people, met with him, I had, had lunch or dinner with him. Mm -hmm. he, what they do, he, he has these long silk scarves. He mm -hmm. gives it to you like, it's like, you know, like knights they used to put a sword on your shoulder, but yeah. they give you this, and I still have it. I should have worn it. I didn't know you were going to ask him. Yeah. It, but it's like a 10 foot scarf with, with, um, you know, frilly ends, endings. Oh. And, and it looks it looks very dramatic yeah yeah that's 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 hilarious it's a hilarious uh recounting of it uh, um do you we have some time a little bit but do you want to talk about the stanford prison experiment kind of the importance of how we structure our systems and the the rules we place people under kind of and the incentives almost yeah, so let me mention the prison study and then I'll end with a positive thing again, yeah. my heroic imagination project, which, which is called HIP. And that's, that's mm -hmm. the most, most important thing I'm doing now and for the rest of my life is yeah. developing a program which is now going global uh, and trying to get ordinary, ordinary people to become everyday heroes. Yes. 
Now, the Stanford Prison Study will have its 50th anniversary in a few months on August 14th, 2021. The experiment okay. started August 14th, 1971. Wow. So it's truly amazing that, that it's 50 years old. It's secondarily amazing that I'm still alive. Uh, and, but what's already happening is it's, be going to, it's going to become a media explosion. Yeah. Stanford University is already preparing for this. Hmm. Media have been contacting them saying, can you send us photos? Can you send us films? Oh. Uh, there's a documentary film company, uh, which has started a, a, a full oh. movie about it. Uh, and, um, wow. and, so, and, so, and so Stanford is, is going to do a program where people can, you know, we, we present this study, what, what it was, and ask questions. So very simply, what the study was really about was in order to predict human behavior, what is the best predictor? Is it knowing someone's personality traits or is it knowing something about the situation the person is in at a particular time? Mm -hmm. And psychology in the 1970s in, said entirely, it's all personality. If I give you a personality test, I know your score and various traits, I could predict how you behave. Well, mm -hmm. all the evidence was the prediction is low level. In fact, you predict accurately 20% of the time. And I was always saying, again, because having grown up in poverty, which poverty is a situation, that it's yes. the situation that matters. When you're in a good situation, a positive one, a compassionate one, emotional, emotionally positive one, you're going to be doing good stuff. Yep. When you're in a bad situation with gangs, with, with criminals, yep. uh, in a war zone, you're going to do bad shit. Okay. So, yep. so, so the prison study says, what happens when you put good people in a bad situation? Yep. Do the good people win or does the situation dominate the good people? And the answer is the second. Yep. We showed that you put ordinary young men, and these are all college students from all over America, not just from Stanford, uh, who were recruited by an ad uh, saying, uh, we want college students to be in a, in quote, prison study. For, it could go from, it'll go for one to two weeks and you get $15 a day. Mm -hmm. And so 75 people answered the ad. We gave them personality tests, clinical interviews, et cetera. And then we randomly assigned 12 of them to be guards and 12 of them to be prisoners. Mm -hmm. And the prisoners were going to live in their cell 24 seven and the guards were going to work eight hour shifts. There'd be three guards on each of three eight hour shifts and there'd be three prisoners in each of three cells. So that's the symmetry. And then yeah. we try to make the study as realistic as possible. We had real police arrest the, the boys who were going to be prisoners at home, put them, put them, bring them to real local jail until they, we brought them down to our prison in the basement of psychology department. Oh. Um, and, um, and then we had visiting days where parents came. We had a parole board hearing headed by an ex-convict. Um, uh, so so we, we did many, many things to, to recreate what, what life is like in a real prison. Although what we're talking about is a small six by 20, 20 feet long uh, hallway. That's yeah. the, 
Yeah. Now, interestingly, there was a movie made in 2015 called Stanford Prison Experiment, in which they reproduce exactly every every inch of that study, and they use the videotapes I had collected for for the boys playing prisoners and guards. So in that movie, everything every actor says comes from exactly what mm-hmm. the prisoners and guards in my study said, not from a script, but from their, their feelings. Uh, and just to make a long story short is, although nobody wanted to be a prison guard, uh, after they got on the uniform, got in the, in the situation, uh, started to interact with the prisoners, they became guards. Uh, and, yep. and, uh, and on each of the three guardships, one, one person took the leadership. And that was one who was usually most dominant and controlling and often more and more extreme. Mm-hmm. The other problem in the situation is you have a job that goes for eight hours yep. and there's no structure. Nobody tells you what to do. So you yeah. have to be inventive. And mm. what are you going to do? You have to invent things to make it interesting for you. You don't want to spend eight hours sitting around. Prisoners are in their cell. They're sleeping, whatever. So, so the guards began, began to be creatively evil to stimulate themselves uh, by having prisoners do more and more extreme things. And it starts simply, the guards have the prisoners do push-ups and then the guards step on the prisoners back while they're doing push-ups. Then the guards have prisoners, prisoners step on each other's backs when they're doing push-ups. And then on and on and on and on until it, it really got, it got out of hand. Out of hand. Uh, and in 36 hours, the first prisoner had an emotional breakdown. Uh, I still remember his name. He's number 8612, uh, Doug, Doug Corpy. Uh, and, the, and after that, each day, another prisoner had an emotional breakdown. And we ended the study after six days because it couldn't go on for two weeks. I mean, it yeah. was stressful, not only for the prisoners and guard, it was stressful for me and the staff. Yeah. And but the, so the and then we followed all the prisoners up for two weeks, two months, and even even though they had emotional breakdowns, it was limited to that situation. Okay. Uh, and and essentially, once they put on their, once they took off the uniforms, put on their clo- regular clothing, went home, they flipped back into the regular c- character. Yeah. So that really, it's it really, I think. The situation and environment, I, I guess, is a good word too. It, yeah. The environment you're in is going to heavily influence you, and I think that's true from a systems perspective as well. Oh, sure. Yeah, but but see, but the thing about the study is, it's an environment, it's a system, but it's very localized. Mm-hmm. See it. I yeah. mean, so the environment in a ghetto is an environment, but it's everywhere. I mean, where where do you start filming? Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. So here, because, I mean, all we have is we have a, a video camera looking through a little hole and whatever is in front of that hole, that's reality. Yeah. Um, you know, and um, so, 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 yeah, it's, uh, it, I'm saying it's really a testimony to human nature that half of the prisoners survive, no matter what the guards did, they survive. Uh, uh, you know, and, and at the end, all of the guards said they were sorry. They, yeah. they apologized. I, they were sorry. 
and, yeah. in every way they said it wasn't me. I literally I never did anything like that. I can't imagine doing it. Yeah. But the guards worked eight hour shifts. What does that mean? For 16 hours they were home. They could think about what they did. They could come back the next day and say, hey, I I overdid it. In fact, every day was worse than the previous day. Mm -hmm. So in their minds, it was a complete break. Now I'm a prison guard. Now I'm a college kid. And and there was no there was no sense of guilt that you thought about afterwards. So it was really like you're an actor on a stage. Yeah. Somebody gives you a script. You read your part. Hey, this curtain comes down. You go home. You know, it doesn't matter what what you were doing there. And that's what many in their mind. That's what many of them uh, had. They were yeah. acting on a stage. Uh, whatever they did, they left there. Uh, but then, but then they never changed the script. Only yeah. to get worse. Yeah, I can I can easily see how the reality for actual prison guards is like a far like worse for their mental psyche and their 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 mental health really because um, they oh, gotta, you yeah. know again i mean after we did this see i knew nothing about prisons before that i had no interest in prisons uh but afterwards i got involved i went to, went to prisons met with prison guards met with um prison prisoners and essentially guards will tell you we are afraid of our lives there are very few of us, and there are many of them. And we know many of them have, make weapons. They make weapons out of any, they, they steal, they steal a, a soup spoon and they turn it into a weapon. And, and we are the enemy. Even though I'm a good guard, some other guard can humiliate a prisoner. He's gonna take it out on the next guard that comes by. Could be mm -hmm. me. Yeah. So therefore, so most of the guards say, I have to suppress the prisoners, suppress for my own well-being, not because I'm cruel, not because I'm sadistic, but I have to make them feel that they have no power. Mm -hmm. but the moment they feel they have power, they can use it against me. And, 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 and I, I don't want to die on the job. Yeah, it's um, almost game theory kind of. Yeah. You're right. Absolutely. It's a game theory now. So I want to just end with the positive side. I don't want to yeah, yeah. have your audience depressed. <laughs> so so uh, 10 years ago, I flipped my coin. Instead of saying, how is it that ordinary people can do bad things? I flipped it to say, uh, no, I said, and the, the, the subtitle of the looser effect is understanding how good people can turn evil. And and the last chapter of that book starts off with saying, is it possible for ordinary people to become heroes? That's the question. And then, and then begin to think about, well, we have this elevated impression of hero. Heroes are unique people, they're special people. They are kind of above and beyond humanity. So if we ask you to name your favorite heroes, what are you gonna say? Nelson Mandela, Martin Luther King, Mother Teresa, Madame Curie, go on and on with people whose whole lives were about sacrifice, were about suffering, uh, and in many cases died, okay? Yes. Um, and I'm saying, no, no, no. A hero is somebody who once comes to the aid of somebody in need, helps them, knowing that it, it could be costly for them. They could get hurt, they could get injured, they could die. 
or yeah. a hero is somebody who defends a moral cause, who exposes corruption, exposes brutality, exposes bullying. And again, there's always a cost. Uh, the cost is you could lose your job. Yeah. Uh, so, so with that framework, uh, I, sa I said, is it possible not to preach about heroism, but actually create a program which inspires and trains young yes. people, high school students, college students, how to be a hero. That's what I did. I created a whole set of lessons that we licensed for a small fee to high schools, colleges, and now businesses, which teach people how to go from being a passive bystander to an active upstander. Yes. How to go from having a, stable, a, a fixed static mindset to a dynamic growth mindset. How to go from being prejudiced and discriminatory into understanding and acceptance of others who are different. Those, those are our three lessons. We're now developing one on time. We're developing one on, on climate change. And mm -hmm. so, as I said, we license these lessons. And then I go uh, to the school and I train the teachers how to deliver the lesson. Or I go to, to businesses. We go to Ford Company and other places how to deliver the lesson. Um, now, in the past, I used to travel a lot around, around the world, mostly to Europe. And wherever I would give a lecture, I'd end with, and now let me tell you about my hero program. And I'd end with saying, if any of you are interested in uh, being trained in how to use our program in your school, your business, I'll be glad to do a training for free tomorrow. And so with that, we have programs going all over in every school in Hungary, all over Poland, uh, in, in Palermo with uh, African migrants there, uh, in, in Iran, um, uh, uh, in Czech Republic, in many, many, many places. Uh, now, the problem now is with, with the pandemic, I can't travel, schools are cl closed down, so we're not licensing our, licensing our lessons. So what I'm doing is trying to put the lessons online. Mm -hmm. So in the past, I would have to go and, you know, the lessons would be keynote or PowerPoint and you have physically you'd have to present them. And, and I would ask a question, uh, they, uh, they would answer, I would go, so give and take. So now we're trying to rework that. So it's all vir virtual hero training. But what I'm saying is exciting yeah. that we, we are making a big difference around the world. Yeah, I, in I a like positive that. way. In a positive way. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You've taken it, taken the the study of the negative and used it to feel positive. I, I think that's that's, that's great. Um, so for those these last few minutes here, can you just talk about um, how you value time, um, just as a human being, um, as someone who's well, yeah, and yeah. March twenty third. 2021, I will be 88. So I value every moment because I know I have, I, I appreciate getting to this age. Uh, my parents died when they were 69, mostly from cancer, from smoking. Uh, most of the kids I knew in, in the ghetto died from in prison or in, in gang wars or getting hurt. Uh, so I am fortunate to have lived this long. But now the question is, uh, do I have two more years? Do I have one more year? Um, 
So it's at this point, it becomes very uncertain. Um, I'm in good physical health. Uh, I don't exercise as much as I should, which I, I, I mean, I used to swim every day, but un, until the, at the YMCA nearby, but they shut down all the pools. So, so because of that, I don't, but I should exercise at home. I don't. Um, yeah. <laughs> since I'm like, I mean, if once you get in again, once you get into a routine, I used to go every morning, yep. be in the pool at nine, leave home at eight thirty, be in the pool by nine o'clock, uh, swim for an hour, uh, uh, cool down, shower, get home, you know, and then my day would start at ten thirty, and I would mm-hmm. have that on my calendar, and I would call it swim therapy, so anybody, so the people wouldn't bother me, so swim <laughs> therapy. He's a handicapped person. He's like, he has polio. He has to go in the water. Um, but anyway, so I missed that. But, but so the question is, I value time very much because mm-hmm. I know realistically my time is short. Um, yeah. and, um, and I'm hoping this is what people take out of the pandemic. That is knowing that people all around us are getting sick and dying, um, that, um, that their life was cut short. Uh, many, many of the people who are dying were in their 60s. Uh, and, you know, and so, so I, I'm, I'm, I've lived a long life for them, you know. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, so I value, I value time. Yeah. I value time all the time. Yeah. I, even for me, I, I'm 28, but I, I, I guess I've come to the acceptance that each day, the probability of dying is greater than zero. Right. Um, And so that brings this like natural urgency every day to like, to just get moving, to live, to like do as much as I can in terms of um, energy and like bringing positive energy, not necessarily productivity, because it's good to, as you say, have that balance and enjoy time. And if you don't have anything to do, like relax. Right. Uh, but I think just, I think that right there, the, the probability part where it's like not taking for granted the fact that I'm going to wake up tomorrow morning, right. Um, right. But understanding that the probability is, is greater than zero. That's all that I think needs to be right. known that it's greater than zero. Right. Um, and that applies to everybody at any age. Um, right. So I, I, I think even for me, I, I kind of perceive it as almost like my, like I, I'm 90 years old myself, but I have right. the, the, the lucky, the, the gratitude to be able to be my age now. And so the, the sense of urgency is just, it's there. No, I think you just have to say value today yeah. because tomorrow might never come. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, you know, you get, aside from just ultimately dying of disease of old age, you could be in an accident. You could be crossing the street and, and get run down, you know. Yeah. Choke on lunch. Yeah, yeah. So, so essentially it's value today fully. And that yeah. what that means is enjoy other people, give one of the things we say in our hero program give compliments give yeah. compliments uh to people that you meet give compliments to strangers on the street uh say Soresh, this is a wonderful interview i really enjoyed my time with you i'm so <laughs> happy you invited me 
so there's an interview that got you to smile. See. Yeah, that is true. That's true. Yeah, yeah. That is also true. Yeah. Oh, well, the, the smiling part is, is it's super contagious as well. So I think that's right. Um, yeah. Thank you. Thank you for your time as well. Um, okay. And I, yeah, I, I, I'm just honored and grateful for your time and your your, your belief and all of that. And um, I. I, I really like I'm excited to like see how things play out with the, the Stanford ex prison experiment 50th anniversary and um, well, also, I should, yeah also excuse me um, you yeah. should also put online beside the time scale mm -hmm. is the heroic imagination project website yeah yeah and, and there's also a place that people can make a, a tax-free donation even a small one would help $25 or something yeah absolutely I will make sure I will 100% make sure to have all of those um, teed up uh, very easily. Um, but, I, I, you know, I know your time is precious. I know it's yes. <laughs> uh, Good night. So, yep, thank you so much. Um, Let's shake. Let's shake. Yep. Shake. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. <laughs> shoulder bumps. I don't like shoulder yeah. bumps. Yeah. <laughs> okay. okay. Thanks. Have a good night. Thank you.